flying in the tall grass. Can you hear me? Wish I had a we pilot on podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can holler. You used to me up, take off. <laughs> All right. Wish I had a million dollars. Let's get I wish I had a million back in the room. Wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all the being a little glitchy for me. I'm not sure I what wish that I was. Found a I wish them girls gave me them sugar. This is crazy. Oh my God! Can you hear me? I can. I can. Oh my God! I can hear you. Praise I Jesus! Oh, hey, this is great. Thanks for having me. Got to go. We'll do it next week. <laughs> oh my God! All right. I mean, the, the most tragic part of this is that I was talking to myself and saying so many clever things. I promise. I was bringing the house down. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Okay, that's never happened to me before. All, those of you who listen every Monday and Thursday know that this is the biggest uh, cluster F that I've ever experienced. However, it is just pretending the excellence that this episode is going to be. Josh, Josh, yes, Josh, there is no one with whom I prefer to speak about movies <laughs> than you. I, oh, thank you. I have been told, Josh, a thing that people have said about me, a thing that it has been said is that <laughs> I don't t- make an argument. I don't get myself into a situation where I have to defend a case if I don't know that I'm going to win. And I came into this big confident, Josh. I, I, by the way, I was confident you would win, too. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I said to myself, I had such visceral memories of going to see this movie in Harvard Square Theater in 2005 and loving it and thinking this is a cinematic masterpiece that there is no way that it won't have stood up it's there's no way wow see okay but josh josh Josh, yes i finished watching this about 15 minutes before we were supposed to have gone live today can i read your email because i've gotten so many laughs (laughs) you can read my email yes i'm gonna wait now i'm not gonna find it i think but but uh yeah, because we had this conversation, and during, you know, when, when the whole crash thing was happening, I remember one of the, uh, there was this realization early on that there were a lot of black folks who loved it, and I was like, okay, I'm not that person who gets the, I know my issues, I don't get to say you're wrong. So uh, unlike every white person in crash, you're not going to lecture black people about what about racial preferences? Uh, no, no, I'm not. Um, uh, no, no. <laughs> but but it was, uh, you know, I thought this will be interesting. Bray's, Bray's brilliant. She'll she'll give me the thing I'm missing. And I watched it again. And there were a couple moments where I was like, all right, I'm really interested to hear what her take's going to be on this. And, oh, my God, this will be cool. And then, like, was it yesterday? <laughs> yesterday I, I, guess, I get an email from Bray. Oh my God, this movie is terrible. I've made a mistake. <laughs> okay, Josh, I, I recorded a new sound into my, my soundboard, especially for this. Do you want to hear it? I do, I do. This is my contemporary reaction to this film. Wait, no, that's not the one. Although that's weirdly, weirdly fitting. Here, here we go. I don't care. Immediately no. Immediately no. Immediately no. Immediately no. Immediately no. Reaction upon the opening scene of this film. 
Yeah, what, what is, oh yeah, it's Don Cheadle at the, oh yeah, I remember. Okay, yeah, so for those, for those who don't remember, uh, for those who blessedly resigned this movie to the recesses of their main, of their brain, who perhaps, um, out of a sense of self-preservation, purged all memory of this film. How would you, how would you summarize, Josh, the plot of, uh, of Crash Year? Ah, that's not fair. <laughs> uh, okay, well, it, it's you know what, and I realized watching it, what what I would have done had I been tasked with having to, you know, if you're handed the script to rewrite, but they tell you they want to keep pretty much everything in it, mm-hmm. they just want to make it work. I would have injected a supernatural character, the God of Irony, <laughs> and I would have had the God of Irony just sitting around fucking with people by making them constantly running into each other over and over again, so that they can learn lessons. It's, um, you know, it's an ensemble piece about race that mm-hmm. uses uh, Los Angeles as its kind of Petri dish mm-hmm. um, and in which a small group of characters continually bump into each other uh, and are continually being forced to uh, be challenged ironically uh, about their um uh, either their racism or their views on racism. Right, right. It's 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 like to to picture the ensemble cast nature. I don't know if you've seen those movies like Valentine's Day, New Year's. There's like a whole <laughs> series of these films that they had the biggest stars in the world. It's always like Julia Roberts and like I don't know uh, J Lo or something. Like the biggest stars, biggest movie stars. About thirty five of them. And it all wraps up in a neat little bow because they all interact with each other. Bradley Cooper is usually in it. <laughs> it's like that, but for racism instead of Mother's Day. Instead of love. <laughs> instead of love. Okay. So fundamentally, right off that, so l- let me let me just address what my memory was. Yeah, I want to hear the movie you thought you saw. Okay. In my recollection, the movie was challenging because it depicted a more nuanced view of race where racism wasn't a clownish Klansman type of figure where everybody had the ability to have bias and was wrestling with their biases, but that still did not preclude there being other admirable aspects of their personality. And we had not previously gotten a movie that acknowledged that a person can be both things in one vessel. That was my historical memory. And I remember a lot of the criticisms in the movie at the time being, oh, they're racist. And I was like, well, that's the, you're not understanding the point. You don't, you're not getting it was my thought. Because mm-hmm. that's the way the world is. In the real world, I thought, my recollection of this, is that you do have these kinds of shades of gray and how brave of this film for tackling them head on. Right. I was not correct, Josh. Uh, no. <laughs> I, I would also, you know, because one of the things that, that what you said to me, uh, we were on uh, the West Wing thing and we were talking about this. And the thing you said to me that made me stop and think, OK, I will, I will give this another look, is you said something. And I'm going to paraphrase it badly to the effect that you felt the movie's treatment of racism was more sophisticated in 2005 <laughs> than um, most movies treatment of it today. And I think we brought up Green Book, which is, you know, I mean. I haven't actually seen it, but I've you know heard. That I, I will say this: Crash is Crash is leaps and bounds more sophisticated <laughs> uh, than, than Green Book, and 
and it, it hurts me to say that because I uh, am a Laura, you know, uh, I love Vigo for mm-hmm. uh, obvious reasons, I hope. But, um, uh, you know, and I thought, oh, that's interesting because it's one of the things I've been saying for years and I went back and watched it again recently is that, um, you know, and it makes me really sad that, that Hollywood does such a bad job with this subject, even even today when theoretically we're, uh, you know, giving all these new voices platforms. Um, I think we're suffering from the fact that as many new voices are being given platforms, it's still the exact same people giving the green lights. So the people making the decision as to what gets said are the same folks they've always been, which is why what's being said isn't that much different. But, you know, I, I, I will, I will, I will fight to the death for, uh, in the heat of the night. Well, um, we should have watched that. And I which, am open yeah, to I mean, watching. But it, it does, it does exactly what you're talking about. Cause Rod Steiger's character is deeply racist. He's a Southern white sheriff. But he's also deeply complicated, and the relationship between him and Sidney Poitier um, is just amazingly complex and and adult and nuanced. Because um, as glorious as Poitier is, he's kind of an asshole too. And you know, this is the '60s, and it's like we should be leaps and bounds beyond that by now. You know, it's like. And yet, here is where we are. In fact, this is the the. The almost the opening scene. We open with John Cheadle squatting on the side of the highway, seeing something. It's a crime scene. We're not sure what it is yet. And then we yeah. flash to yesterday, and yesterday puts us in a store owned by a middle-aged Persian couple and their adult daughter. I, you know, she's there. I don't know if she owns it. Um, and they are in a, actually they're in a gun store trying to buy a gun, and we get a very early sense of the pace of race racism that's going to get come in this movie, the full force <clears throat> nonstop ma- machine gun rapid fire racism that we get in this movie. That is so unnuanced as to be clownish. I'm going to, some of this is going to be uh, dubbed and I'll just talk over the translation. Not because I speak Farsi, but because I can read it off the screen in front of me. Okay, here we go. <laughs> One free box of ammunition. What kind do you want? What did he say? Ammunition? Okay. So what kind of bullets? The kind that fit. There's more than one kind. I don't know anything about guns. Another reason not to buy one, says the daughter. Yo, Sama, plan the jihad on your own time. What do you want? Yes. <laughs> Yo, Osama. <clears throat> that's you should make clear. That's the guy who's trying to sell these people a gun. Correct. Who's who's living um, requires him to probably not chase people out of his store Correct. by, by being an asshole to them. I'm, Correct. <laughs> I've never run a business. <laughs> we, we immediately, like that's, we're off to the races. Okay. Yeah. So that, that whole narrative arc, but lest you think that we should feel sorry for this man who is being antagonized in this way just a few short years after 9-11 and the, right. the, the you know, um, kind of McCarthyist, uh, you know, ratcheting back of civil liberties and everything, hate crimes against anybody with a tan and a beard that occurred during those years. He ends up being one, let's say not being one of the more villainous characters, but performing one of the more villainous acts of this movie. Yes. Yes. And that's the trick of Crash. 
instead of having a nuanced conversation where someone who is leveraging the moment of racism gets confronted by the person who's subject to the racism, we get this just like even Stevens handling of it that says, right. oh, I can be racist and I, so I can be the victim of racism. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, he's sure he's a victim of racism, but he's a racist too. And, and I, bet you, I bet you didn't know that about people. Right. The <laughs> other annoying thing that this movie does that I didn't notice at, until the very, very end. And I thought about it, and I think that I'm right, and I want to know what you think about this. Every – okay, the people with opinions about race, not who are just being racist because everyone's being racist, but the people who are articulating an opinion about race yes. are all white. No. No, ludicrous. Except for – no, I'm getting oh. there. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm Except sorry. Except for ludicrous, who they make so dumb <laughs> – he, he says a bunch of things that are totally true. Yes. And then they mix it up and completely invalidate the legitimacy of any of his points by making him cartoonishly, clownishly absurd, like a, like a, like a black Israelite on the corner. Which I, I do want to ask, because a lot of the stuff he said, you're like, yeah, absolutely. It's nice they were paying attention. Correct. The thing about bus windows, can we talk about that? Oh, yes, we can talk about that. that. I, I like to, you know, look, I understand. I'm a, a middle-aged white man. I grew up in Philadelphia, in the city. I've spent a lot of time in and around black culture. I like to think I'm vaguely more tapped in than a lot of people of my cohort. But that was one I had never heard. And his theory is the reason windows on buses are so large is that people, what is it, so that they'll see. They can see. They'll see the shame, shame of all the black people yes. who have to ride on buses, which. I thought only someone from a city like L.A. could think that because I am i didn't even have a driver's license until I moved from Los Angeles. Everybody in Philly takes the bus. Yeah, I, I didn't know. OK, so I have barely ever been to L.A. like twice. But the first time I went with a friend from law school who's from Orange County, we went to get our eyebrows threaded at like a strip mall. And there was something on the other side of the street. You know, there's like a strip mall on both sides of the road that we also wanted to go to. So I naturally start to cross the street after we leave our eyebrow appointment. She says, no, 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 get in the car. We're going to drive. And I say, Karen, it's literally across the street. (laughs) (laughs) She says, no, no, this is California. Like if people see you, there's like judgments of people walking down the sidewalk because there's a perception that if you are walking as a pedestrian, you don't have a car and you're poor. Basically only poor people walk. Oh, that's great. And I was like, okay. And that to me, so when I saw that bus line, I was like, fully, this is an LA, this is Los Angeles people problem. This is, yeah, exactly. This is an LA nonsense. Um, let's go. So, so very quickly in, into this movie, we get the, we get, we, we meet, we meet Ludacris and Lorenz Tate who play, well, okay. And this is the context we meet them in. Our, Mike, our, can I just say, I yeah. completely forgotten the punchline to their first scene. And... <laughs> I know, I know, I know. There's problems with it. I did laugh out loud. <laughs> okay, well, you have to, right? Let's let's see. If, let's see if the audience agrees to set up. Yeah. They're walking down the street. Two black guys, Lorenz Tate and Ludacris, approaching them is a shockingly young Brendan Fraser and Sandra Bullock. Just oh wait, before, and before you do, can I just say what Ludacris is doing? Yes. And I want to be really clear because not only do I like him as an actor, I, I love. I worked with Lorenz. He is wonderful. I will say or hear nothing bad I, about him. I also, I also love Lorenz Tate. You do not have to worry he's, about that. He's the me. greatest. The character it seems to be, as far as I can tell, he is another young black man from Los Angeles. He's not mm-hmm. arrived here from, say, 
you know, uh, somewhere in the middle of uh, the fields of England. Um, <laughs> and Ludacris is explaining to Lorenz, clearly his good friend, clearly mm-hmm. they're the same age from the same age. He's explaining uh, racism to him. <laughs> this is how you know this is a movie by white people for white people. And for some reason, the white writer says, I need Lorenz Tate to be the vessel for this race the, lesson. Yeah, and I gotta, as, <laughs> long as, I've got, as long as I'm talking to a black person now, is that a thing that that, that you people do? <laughs> I am forever Ariana? explaining basic racial concepts to my black friends. <laughs> hey, Alicia, did you know that sometimes people get stereotyped when they're in predominantly white environments? We're both 36 years old, but I thought that might be a new one for you. <laughs> it's an astonishing scene. It's amazing. The kind of, and it goes to a punchline, but God, yeah, sorry. Okay, so they're walking down brightly lit kind of commercial outdoor eatery type area, uh, and the two, the white couple is, is, is approaching Lorenz Tate and Ludacris. Okay, here we go. I'd just like to see you get through a meal without calling her or anyone else for that matter. Okay, look, no more phone calls tonight. As a matter of fact, here, you can hold the battery, okay? Ten bucks says she calls in the car. Wait, 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 wait. You see what that woman just did? You see that? Right, she's cold. She got colder as soon as she saw us, though. Oh, man, come on, don't, don't stop. Man, look around you, man. <laughs> you couldn't find a whiter, safer, or better <laughs> part of this city right now. But yet this white woman sees two oh. black guys who look like UCLA students strolling down the sidewalk, and her reaction is blind fear? I mean, look at us, dog. Are we dressed like gangbangers? Huh? No. Do we look threatening? No. Fact. If anybody should be scared around here, it's us. We're the only two black faces surrounded by a sea of over-caffeinated white people patrolled by the trigger-happy LAPD. So you tell me, why aren't we scared? Because we got guns? <laughs> you could be right. Get the fuck out of the car! Give me the key! Come on. Okay. And so then they proceed to actually rob and carjack uh, Sandra Bullock and Brendan Fraser. Yeah. By the way, Sandra Bullock's greatness. She is. She's really great. I wish they let her play like awful people more often because she just she just rocks it. She's so good. I think what she took from this was to go into the blind side, which was the wrong lesson. Uh. <laughs> Love you, Sandy. This is not personal. If they want to do a miscongeniality for, I will be there with my mask in my seat. <laughs> um, but th- so so this is this is the game they play constantly. So I, this is the thing that white people. Sorry, I shouldn't say white people. This is the thing I've noticed in movies uh, that seem to be filtered through a Caucasian lens frequently. <laughs> um, they will. They, the, some a certain kind of white liberal thinks the most hysterical thing in the world is to have a black person do something that's not stereotypically black, and that's the whole gag. That's the whole gag. Like. Um, and, and they'll write depth into a character by into a black character by showing they're not like other black people because they play chess or like Shakespeare or something like that. And you know the number one example of this that I can think of right off the top of the dome, Josh. Yes, yeah. is, is a, a show you're very familiar with. Oh yeah, it's called The West Wing. Uh. <laughs> well, uh, you mean Charlie? Yes. And, and it, um, well, what's I mean? They give him they give him all sorts of white stuff. To, I was thinking about, uh, uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed the show. It's, a, I guess, a guilty pleasure. The new the new Reacher show. Oh, I haven't seen it. What did they do? Um, but here's the thing: my my you know my, my second oldest friend in Philadelphia 
um, black guy named Rodney from, from the same part of town I'm from, uh, who called me up to tell me how much he loved it. And he finally felt seen. Rodney's a musician working in West Philadelphia who um, loves, you know, Leonard Skinner and, <laughs> and Led Zeppelin. There's a black character on it who listens to nothing but like white music. Yes, and but that's, that's I, the joke. I have that friend. His name is Jeffrey. He's from Little Rock, Arkansas. He, had a, he had a Leonard Skinner <laughs> poster on his bedroom wall in college. <laughs> But that is not his entire personality. Correct. And it, it yes. is also not a joke. Do you know right. what I mean? <laughs> That's yeah. a facet of his of who he it's like. A, he likes a thing, but that is not right. a punchline, and it is not who he is. It's not his character. Correct. It's not his temperament. Yes. It's it doesn't explain anything. And also treating it the way it gets treated in movies, like as a joke, yep. really just doubles down on the idea that that is so abnormal. Yep. And in yes. this movie, they they make it like. Not only is it a weird thing in the movie that Lorenz Tate likes his character likes country music, he he ends up sorry spoiler alert, basically dying over it. Yeah. Okay, but we'll 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 get to that. We'll get to that. Josh, I feel like I bulldozed again with my own my own um, problematic problem areas that I wanted to focus on. I want to give you a chance. No, no, no I'm fascinated because you're you're new to this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> up, up until up until twelve o'clock. Uh, Pacific Standard Time yesterday, you you were a devotee of this film, so <laughs> you're you're having this rush of new emotions. You need to let them out. I'm I mean, so the, upset. Uh, I'm so upset. I, Go ahead. I, the only thing I wanted there was that one thing in the gun store, and it just reminded me of uh, an experience I actually had, which I think was more interesting and complicated and telling than that. And it's I'll be really brief. It was years and years and years ago. I was writing a western screenplay and. I, I knew for a fact that pretty much every Western you've ever seen lies to you about guns. That, you know, every time you see a character in a Western firing a gun like it's an automatic. It's like they, they didn't make them like that. So I wanted to get some interesting dirt on how, you know, six shooters and things like that actually worked in the 1880s. Mm-hmm. And there's a gun store in town that sells antiques as well as new ones. And I went in an afternoon and I talked to the guy. I just wanted some information. And you know, that thing when you find someone who's like a collector or a passionate devotee of just anything is like, it's so fun to listen to them talk. Mm. And this guy was so happy to just be able to go on for like half an hour about, you know, Western guns and how they worked and tricks you'd have to do and things you could do, the things he'd never seen in a movie. And I was just like, I'm so, I love this guy. I'm loving this guy. And then these two white guys come to the store to the other side. And they want to buy Glocks. And he goes, oh, excuse me. Hang on for a minute. And he goes over. And within 30 seconds, and forgive me, I'm going to use a loaded term, at least in L.A., he starts talking about how this this fucking thing will stop three beaners before they even know what hits them. Mm. And you're like, oh, wow. <laughs> so what you're saying is this movie is very true to life and that I just haven't been exposed to what Well, no, no. But what you, well, yeah, right. Exactly. But it was like, that's where you would see it. What you wouldn't see it is, I guarantee you, and then like some, you know, a, a Latino would walk in. He's not about to start talking about stopping beaners. He's going to say whatever he has to do to sell him a gun. Mm. Whereas this guy in Crash, it just, I could not get past it. Mm, mm. And you haven't established that the father and the daughter are particularly annoying. They're like, Mm-mm. talking about what gun they're going to buy. Yeah. They're just they're, mad that they're speaking Farsi. Yeah. And he's just like immediately with the Osama. It's like, that's, it's such a cartoon. You know, Correct. he might, it's like, and, and I guess that's one of my problems with racism in so many movies is it is portrayed as this cartoonish thing that is immediately identifiable. Correct. Um, all right. So, so to, yeah. in, all, in all defense, one of the more nuanced interactions, the, like the, the, in this tangled web that's being woven, is the Sandra Bullock, Brendan Fraser, district attorney 
storyline that ends up getting mushed in with the Don Cheadle storyline. Okay, so they get carjacked. It turns out Brendan Fraser is the DA. And for some reason, the predominant concern, because this is how real life is apparently, is that he's up for re-election and he doesn't want the news to find out that he was carjacked by a black guy because that will cause him to lose the black vote. Right. What? (laughs) In Eric Adams America, we're supposed to believe that the thing that black voters really hate is when someone, a white person, is robbed by a black person. Like, we're just identifying randomly, like, oh, yes, I'm rooting for the robber because I – what is what is the argument that's being made here? I, yeah, it's very weird. He's worried that that if the story gets out that he was robbed by two black guys, it will it'll look it, bad. It'll make the, him. The, yeah, black voters in LA will be unsympathetic. Like, <laughs> sorry, this, is, this is not nuance. You know what I mean? This isn't like this isn't. He doesn't have to like publicly testify against these guys, or he's he's not worried about. He didn't. He didn't like. He didn't shoot one and kill one in the robbing in self-defense. Well, but it's also, it's, 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 I hate to, I really do hate to say this because, because I think Paul Haggis is a lovely man. He's written some great stuff and God knows, I mean, I'm sure. And if you don't know about uh, his work coming out of Scientology and standing against Scientology, he's kind of a superhero. But when it came to this film, that that's, that's just something you need to research because the notion, he's writing that like a comfortable suburban white liberal would. A comfortable white suburban liberal is going to tell you, oh, we got carjacked. And the first time they are pressed to describe the carjackers, if it was a black guy, they're going to get uncomfortable. Right. Because they that makes them uncomfortable. Right. A district attorney, on the other hand, right. <laughs> does not live in that world. A district attorney lives in a world where this shit happens. And also his entire job is locking up carjackers. Yeah, exactly. That's his so entire like, job. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's acting like his like he's going to a cocktail party full of white liberals in Brentwood and, and it's going to be uncomfortable describing. He's not a public defender. Here's how you write this. Here's how you yeah. write this. Yeah. You make him a public defender. Sure. And you put him in the position of having to press charges against someone knowing how fucked up the criminal justice system is. Yes. There you go. By but the like, way, yeah. <laughs> it's now a thousand percent more interesting. <laughs> and his wife, who's just having this moment because she was terrified and angry and is just yes. like, not, not a, you know, uh, adhering to any of her kind of normally established, you know, liberal pieties yes. is just like, these are the fucking people you defend. You know, I mean, it's like that. That's a scene you buy. That's a real human thing, you know? Yes, yes. Let's, let's listen to a little bit of this because there's also this dynamic, yeah. which I will I will uh, uh, narrate since you're not going to be able to see it with his black female assistant, which is oh, also yeah. fascinating. Um, oh, okay, yeah. here we go. I hope this is approximately the right time. Find Flanagan, will you? Now. Yes, Yes, hi. I want the locks changed again in the morning. You want? Look, why don't you just go lie down, huh? Have you checked on James? Well, of course I've checked on James. I've checked on him every five minutes since we've been home. Do not patronize me. I'm... I want the locks changed again in the morning. Hey, just go to bed. All right. You know what? Didn't I just ask you not to treat me like a child? I'm sorry, yeah. Miss Jean. It's okay, I go home now. It's fine. Thank you very much for staying, Maria. You're welcome. No problem. Good night, Miss Jim. We'll see you tomorrow. I would like the locks changed again 
in the morning. And you know what? You might mention that we'd appreciate it if next time they didn't send a gang member. A gang member. Yes, yes. What, you mean that kid in there? Yeah, the guy in there with the shaved head, the pants around his oh, ass, the prison tattoo. Those are not prison tattoos. Oh, really? And he's not going to go sell our key to one of his gangbanger friends the moment he is out our We've door. We've had a really tough night. I think it'd be best if you just went upstairs right and now. And what, wait for them to break in? I just had a gun pointed in my face. You lower your voice. And it was my fault because I knew it was going to happen. But if a white person sees two black men walking towards her and she turns and walks in the other direction, she's a racist, right? Well, I got scared and I didn't say anything. And 10 seconds later, I had a gun in my face. Now, I am telling you, your amigo in there is going to sell our key to one of his homies. And this time it'd be really fucking great if you acted like you actually gave a shit. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so I want to co-sign that Sandra, she is, she is excellent at being this terrible fucking yeah. white lady. <laughs> like, give her all the Academy Awards. I, yes. I loathe her. It's great. Yes. <laughs> but here's what's interesting about this interaction. There's so much that they could have done here that's actually quite fascinating. This scene reminded me of a case, a tragic case that recently just happened in New York. I don't know if you heard about this, Josh, where there's video of a young Asian American woman coming home uh, she lets a guy in behind her in the stairwell. He ends up following her up the stairs and so I think stabbing her to death. And it's all on camera and it's very terrible. Uh, a black guy. And my friends, my black friends and I, while we don't sit around des describing basic uh, tenets of racism to each other, did have an open kind of frank conversation with each other about, I wonder if she let him in in part because she thought it would be racist not to let him in. And mm. wouldn't that just be the tragedy? Right. And, I, and I think there is something really interesting in that and how, you know, your desire to be kind of righteous and to not conform to a certain kind of stereotype can short circuit your actual good judgment and, you know, prevent you from acting in ways that are reasonable given other context clues besides race that would indicate that you should be in danger. Right. And part of what was so frustrating about the ludicrous scene is that. When we're when we say things like, oh, you know, a woman like grabbed her purse when I got in the elevator and it was so inappropriate da because everything about me is clearly like I'm dressed in a suit. We work in the same office. I see her in the you know, those are the kind of context clues that black people are talking about when they're saying you shouldn't have been threatened by me. But the way that they portray every aspect in this movie, it's like, yes, Ludacris and Lorenz Tate were dressed like UCLA students. Yeah. They were dressed like UCLA students in the, in the way that like. Criminals and non-criminals both basically wear jeans and jackets. <laughs> like they didn't look intimidating, but they also didn't look like, you know, Steve Urkel. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. And, yep, and yep. So they did, they didn't really land it. They, they were dressed like a normal streetwear like kid. That is true, but you have to capture that. Like that's part of why everything is so problematic. <laughs> is that... Also, it's, it's cast. Yeah, go ahead. Maybe it's just me. It's Lorenz. It's like you get that vibe, you know? It's like it's late at night. You're walking down and it's like two black guys walking behind you. You're going, oh, and you turn around and one of them's Lorenz Tate. You just go, oh. <laughs> he's such a cutie pie. <laughs> <laughs> also, he's like a little tiny nugget of a doll. Like, I mean, I'm not saying that he could, like, you know, handle himself in a fight. I'm not doing that to you, Lorenz. Also, my number is 917. <laughs> um... But it's just, it's just, there is, there is interesting meat here, because I guess I want yeah. to say, because there are some like difficult questions to resolve and moments where I think we've all, you know, been un unclear and had to like really 
wrestle with whether or not we're acting based on a stereotype or whether or not there are other context clues which lead us to a legitimate decision. But instead of exploring that, this incident sets old Sandy off on a whole tirade of racism (laughs) directed at everybody in her path, namely every Latino person in her employ. Including, yes, her maid. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just off at there. I'm trying to think, even even though I watched it the other day, I feel like, and Michael Pena, who plays the locksmith, Mm -hmm. who then intersects later on uh, with a guy who's like a gun. Mm-hmm. Um, is he the only person of the main characters who does not... Who's not racist? Exhibit some form of racism? Correct. I feel like he is. He's the only yeah. one. Well, and also the maid. So I thought about this, and it Unmade. occurred to me that Latinos win this movie. Yeah. There's only one instance of racism coming from a Latino, Latina, and it's when, the, it's when Don Cheadle's partner, the oh, Latina right. cop... Half, she's half Mexican. <laughs> she's not in fact <laughs> she ends up, he of course flatly calls her mexican mm-hmm. and the weirdest scene actually let's go there because that is such a weird effing scene it's yeah. such a weird scene um but while i'm finding it she she ends up having to correct him and say that no she's half i think el salvadorian and half uh, oh that's right Puerto i'm Rican, sorry Good Lord. Yep, yep, yep. yeah but she gets in a car accident it's crashed so there's lots of car accidents because we're literal uh and uh, it's with an Asian American woman and calls her an epithet, a racial epithet, right off the bat, without any warm up. Because <laughs> right. this is what we're doing in 2005. We're getting in car accidents, we're getting out of our cars, and we're immediately going there. <laughs> I mean, what am I supposed to? What am I supposed to do with that? It, it, it diminishes racism. Well, yeah, and the film never ever sets foot anywhere near it just the entire movie for all of these i think that's the thing that really struck me this time in that it is simply a collection of vignettes Mm -hmm. about racism with a cast of rotating characters who bump into each other and are depending on the scene either the victim or perpetrator of that racism it's all personal yes it's there's never any sense of any kind of systemic thing there's never any sense of of pre- there's like a brief moment, I guess, where Keith David, um, who plays oh god, David Keith, sorry. I was about to say, isn't that like the singer? Uh, <laughs> oh, no, 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 there's no, the, he's the, there's, there's the black guy David from um, Princess and the Frog. Sorry, there's uh, other movies or, I could have for our, for our uh, uh, more sophisticated listeners, but yeah, sorry, the, uh, <laughs> but yeah, he's he's the chief or the, the captain, and he kind of makes it clear there's a point where he but talks yeah. about. The sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. Yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where, where he, he talks about what he's had to deal with being a black man in the force and why he's loath to give somebody a transfer from their partner because their partner's racist. Okay, it's we have to, we can't to... just gloss over that. We got to talk about that. Yeah. But that's just... the only time I think that anything vaguely systemic is, is acknowledged. Yes, and then completely blown through, completely yep. made a mockery of. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so let's let's set this up a little. I'm sorry this is pedantic, but if you're like me and you haven't seen this in a million years, you need a little bit of you need a little bit of staging. So Ryan Felipe, who I gotta say, 2000 era Brianna had a little bit of a crush on. <laughs> Ryan Felipe is partners with um, what's his name? Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon. Okay, Matt Dillon is a racist. He's probably our most like obvious racist. In the most traditional sense in this in this whole thing. They're partners and they're cops. There is a scene which in, lived large in my memory of this movie where Matt Dillon 
is behind a black SUV. A black SUV has been reported stolen. They're behind it. Ryan Felipe is like, that's not the car. The plates don't match. But Matt Dillon observes that the passenger wife in the car is giving a blowjob to the husband in the driver's seat and in the light, in the bright lights, believes that it's a white woman going down on a black man is what we're lead to, uh, led to believe. And this makes him very upset. Now, the reality is it's Tandy Newton going down on Terrence Howard, who has like a relaxer, a conch, he has straightened his hair in some way. <laughs> So the idea that from behind we're supposed to believe that this is upsetting because it's a white woman going down on a black man is a little incredulous, but let's go with it. He pulls them over. Tandy Newton's a little bit drunk. She starts mouthing off, and he ends up fingering, he like digitally penetrating, uh, assaulting Tandy Newton, and Terrence Howard basically doesn't do anything. He feels like he can't be under threat of this hostile police officer. And it's a real kind of dignity stripping moment for him. Cause he feels like he can't do anything to protect his wife. And then his wife afterward gets very upset with him for not doing anything, even though it might have jeopardized his safety. Okay. Yep. Ryan Felipe is shaken by this. He shook. And so he goes and requests a new partner from his boss, who of course is also a black man. This is where we get a soliloquy about how hard it is for a black man to rise up through the ranks in the police department, da 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 But for some reason, he doesn't then empathize with Ryan Felipe about what it's like to have a racist partner. Instead, he says, it will reflect poorly on me as a, as a boss if I have let this racism exist in my ranks, been this guy's senior for all of these years without ever doing anything to him. And I'm not going to grant you this transfer. I'm not going to, I'm basically going to actively discourage you from reporting that you want to transfer because Matt Dillon has been racist. Yep. And he antagonizes Ryan Felipe. Yeah. He sort of makes fun of him. Yes. And he basically says the only way you can get a transfer is if you say that you have excessive flatulence and you need to be in a solo car because you can't have a partner because it would be basically a workplace about practice for you to have to sit hotboxing with someone all day. No, come on, Josh. This is like, what, like, what is that even? Saying. It's what? Like, I, I literally don't even know what that is. Like, I watched that scene. I'm like, I literally don't even know what that is. Yeah, it, it, it feels like, um, and I think it goes to the thing about the DA. And I said, where where there's no research done, they haven't even spent time talking to anyone. It's it's like they know there's, they know they have to acknowledge something. They have to acknowledge that you know, oh, we have a black captain. Uh, in the LAPD. Um, I bet that's interesting and complicated. Uh, you could pick up a phone, you know? <laughs> yeah. You could read up on it. There are sources. Yes. Even, even in this era where, uh, uh, you know, it's 2004 when they're making this film, um, the internet isn't quite what it is today. You you can still, I mean, it's easy to find this stuff out and you have conversations with people or you read about them and you, you find out kind of some of the more interesting nuanced aspects of being a black man who is the captain of a police precinct and, and work that into it. Instead, they don't really know what that would be like, but they know they have to address it. And it's like this. Yeah. It doesn't tell you anything. Well, let me, let me ask you this, Josh, as a white man, (laughs) is it really the prevailing feeling that everywhere you go, black people of color are just belittling you and silencing you and not allowing you to like makes you makes you feel like you're a fear of being canceled at every turn because that is the theme of this movie 
The theme of this movie is that white people cannot catch a break. Right. Oh, that's an interesting thing. Sure. Yep. <laughs> Matt Dillon is terrorized by Shaniqua. Uh, that's right. Shaniqua well, John- Johnson or Jenkins, I forget which. Yeah. <laughs> that's literally her name in the film, played by the marvelous um, uh, Loretta Devine, who is a social worker of some kind who is administering his elderly father's uh, care. A so social security or something like that, his health care. And so she, she ends up kind of antagonizing on the phone. We'll come back to that uh, and denying his father coverage. By the way, she ends up being written as in the wrong. He, he's racist to her, but ultimately she is in the wrong because in that scene, she reveals that she can in fact help his father, but she yeah, refuses that's to he, do so. He's, he's racist on the phone. She, he, the instant he finds out her name's Shaniqua. And he's had a brief moment of, of aggravation with her. And he's just like, oh, of course, Shaniqua. And, right. and, and then she hangs up on him. Right. Uh, which you're sort of like, good for her. And then, good. yeah, when he comes in to see her with this problem, with this terror, you know, his father's ill and he needs this help. And he sits there and it's a great scene because he's a, I mean, it's, it's a great performance. Yeah. Matt Dillon talking about, you know, he spends a minute or two being an asshole. And then he says, what is he? He goes, here we go. I got it. Look, I got I, it. I got oh, it great. for you. Please play I got this, it. It's okay. really terrific. This, this shit, man. This shit. Yeah. Send him in. <laughs> Mr. Ryan, yeah. my name is Shaniqua Johnson. I believe we spoke last night. Oh, yeah. I wanted to apologize about that. I haven't been getting too much sleep. My father's in a lot of pain. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. This doctor he's been seeing says he's got a uh, urinary tract infection. And he's been taking this medicine for a month now, and he just keeps getting worse. And he's been back to see Dr. Robinson. Yeah. Between you and me, the man's an idiot. Really? Well, no offense, but the guy sees 100 patients an hour. I think his nurses are doing most of the work. Mm. If you're unhappy, your father's welcome to see a doctor outside the network. And if this new doctor says it's not an infection... Says it's his prostate and it needs to be operated on. Is that going to be covered? Not unless Dr. Robinson offers. What good is that going to do? I'm sorry. There's nothing else I can do. All right. Well, you know what I can't do? I can't look at you without thinking about the five or six more qualified white men who didn't get your job. It's time for you to go. Now, I'm saying this because I'm really hoping that I'm wrong about you. This is persuasion 101. Like yeah. Someone who may have been given a helping hand might have a little compassion for someone in a similar situation. Carol, I need security in my office. You know, you don't like me. That's fine. I'm a prick. My father doesn't deserve to suffer like this. He was a janitor. He struggled his whole life, saved enough to start his own company. 23 employees, all of them black, paid him equal wages when no one else was doing that. Sounds like a fictional character. For 30 years, okay. he side by side with those men sweeping well, and carrying garbage. And then the city council decides to give minority-owned companies preference in city contracts. And overnight, my father loses everything. His business, his home, his wife, everything. But not once does he blame you people. Not I'm not asking you to help me. My mom left my dad I'm because of you people. This small thing, <laughs> a man who lost everything, so people like yourself could reap the benefits. And do you know what it's going to cost you? Nothing. Just a flick of your pen. Your father sounds like a good man, and if he'd come in here today, I probably would have approved this request. 
But he didn't come in. You did. And for his sake, it's a real shame. Get him the hell out of my office. Where to start? Josh, where do you want to start? Well, I just, you know, first of all, his description of his father, I, I kept waiting for a moment. There's no twist there. And I'm particularly keyed into that story because it's, I think, one of my favorite stories about kind of real American racism. Um, my my grandfather uh, worked for a company called Mass Mutual in insurance. And I think like in the 50s, uh, he was instrumental because he really cared about this stuff. He was instrumental in integrating the sales force, making mm. sure they hired the first black salesman. Mm. And, you know, to, to his grave, he was proud of that. And mm. it was one of those things that you're like, holy shit, you know, in that world, I've never done anything that bold because that was a risk, you know? Mm. And at the same time, he also went to his grave. He would happily tell you how the light-skinned ones are smarter than the dark-skinned ones. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's American. That's how it works. It's like everybody's kind of fucked up. But, well, Josh, but, yeah. your 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 relative just wasn't obviously wasn't as valiant as Matt Dillon's relative because That's Matt right. Dillon's relative, relative didn't pure. integrate one person. Matt Dillon got rid of his entire white workforce, right. hired exclusively black people, worked shoulder to shoulder, sweeping up or doing whatever they're supposed to have doing shoulder to shoulder with exclusively black people for some reason, <laughs> and then because of the existence of a minority business program. Oh my God. You know, you know what that reason is. <laughs> he could pay them less. <laughs> <laughs> you left that part out, Matt Dillon. <laughs> and so, and so here's the here's the question. So beyond there being like this, with this the caricature, this cartoonish portrayal of this noble white guy who did everything for you people. Also, reminds me of the color purple. You know, the the mayor's wife, Miss Millie. I've always been kind to you people. Like big Miss Millie vibes. Okay. <laughs> Then you get to the end and you're like, I'm thinking this whole time, well, he's lecturing her and ranting at her. And even if I feel, kind of feel bad for him and definitely feel bad for his dad, there's obviously nothing she can do, right? Like her hands are tied. She's just a part of this bureaucracy, just like everybody else. He's like, you reap the benefits. They're sitting in this shitty office with a bunch of grace fi filing cabinets where she's working like high on the hog, apparently. <laughs> she's reaping the benefits, presumably of an affirmative action program, which there's no basis for it, which, by the way, she does not push back against. None of the black people push back against any of these kinds of things in this movie or, or Latinos. Nobody does. And then at the end, she completely undermines any moral high ground that she might have had as someone who's just been the subject of this racist rant by saying, oh, actually, I could help you. And I know your father actually does sound like a good person who needs my help, but I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And, so yeah, then and you're waiting for that moment. You're waiting for that moment. You're waiting to give her. Tell, now, here's, here's my question, too, because, you know. I can read. I can talk to people. I can do all kinds of things. I'm never going to be that woman. It would seem to me that in her line of work, she would have to have figured out pretty much how to deal with people like him on a daily basis. Mm. That that the way she's behaving with him is a white man's take on what she would do. Does that make sense? Correct. hundred percent. Like she, she lives in a world where like you, you have already got calluses to this. You have built defense mechanisms to this. And and you would just sit there with this guy went on because you're like, whatever, I don't you know, it's, A, it's not my job to make this decision. And B, he's not the guy I'm here to help. I'm here to help the grandfather. Yeah. Who I have to assume may be a very nice guy, as she he, says. Apparently, he's he's Martin, he's Martin Luther King's superior. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, you know what movie just occurred to me actually does this better? 
uh, is the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is yeah. this scene where there's a social worker handling his case who whose hands are kind of tied and there's nothing else she can kind of do for him. He's upset, legitimately so, because he needs services. She's like, I can't give you services. And, and you understand and you sympathize with why he's upset. But it doesn't become this whole, well, this is why my racism is being excused narrative. Right. Moreover, yep. imagine how much more interesting it would be if, let's say, at the end of all of that, she looks at him and says, okay, I'll help him. I- I'm going to help him. Yeah. <laughs> or a world where she just is like, sir, like, literally, I cannot help you. Like, I just, I don't understand what I'm supposed to get from the fact, this idea that, like, honestly, if this is written, the way it's written, she is a bigger villain than him. Yeah. Or what, what if she just said, I mean, because, you know, what if she just said, I'm going to help him. But you're an asshole. Right, like despite you. You know what yeah, I mean? Despite you. You're not or, or he goes home and finds out that she's like called the home and like just talked to the the grandfather for the father right. and set everything up, just gone around Tim Dillon. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It, it's bonkers. It's, it's crazy. Good. I hated it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm... <laughs> I, I feel like sorry, I, was, I was so prepared to come in here and debate you after I watched this thing. I mean, it is truly just, <laughs> just, just, just like okay. Yeah, immediately, no. immediately no. Immediately no. In, immediately no. Immediately no. Also, here we go. I I had queued this up earlier and we didn't play it. This, this is this is because because we got to make sure white people aren't the problem. We got to show every person of color being just as racist as the white people having absolutely no sense of solidarity across racial lines. I'm not saying people of color, black people can't be racist, but except here we go. With, except for Latina. Well, you know, this partner who we're about to hear from, oh, she okay, did yeah. say the one racist thing. She did. She said yeah. one racial epithet, but here we go. Here's, here's how people in the real world talk to their mothers um, and also to their Latina girlfriends. <laughs> oh, 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 wait, why is it not? Oh, oh, my bad. My bad. My bad. Um, Are you playing what I think you're playing? I am. I am about to play. I would have said you were Mexican, but wait, I don't wait, think it would have pissed her off as not... much. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I missed the spot because I had it muted. Finding tiny specks. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, so sorry. Yikes. Okay. Oh. All right. Do I look like I want to be okay. in a I'm sorry. Show? I went back a little too far, but it's about to switch scenes. No. They get the fuck out of my shop. Oh, yeah. Make sure you get that. Okay, but out here, things could have gone really this. fucking wrong. Enough. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, don't. Don't. Be a don't you dare. Don't. Graham Waters. No. No, he's not here, Mom. I'm not going to go looking for him. Look, he'll be home when he... Just leave it alone, Mom. I can't talk to you right now, okay? I'm having sex with a white woman. Okay, wait, wait, wait. I was nice <coughs> okay, you were about to jerk off Michelle. Oh, shit. All right. I would have said you were Mexican, but I don't think it would have pissed her off as much. Why do you keep everybody a certain distance, huh? What, you start to feel something in panic? Come on, Ria. You just pissed because I answered the phone. That's just where I begin to get pissed. I mean, really, what kind of man speaks to his mother that way, huh? Oh, this is about my mother. What, what do you know about my mother? You know, if I was your father, I'd kick your fucking ass. 
Okay, I was raised badly. Why don't you take your clothes off and get back in the bed and teach me a lesson? You want a lesson? I'll give you a lesson. How about a geography lesson? My father's from Puerto Rico. My mother's from El Salvador. Neither one of those is Mexico. Ah, uh, well then I guess the big mystery is who gathered all those remarkably different cultures together and taught them all how to park their cars on their lawns? I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I just truly do not believe... I, I'm not saying that black people aren't racist and don't say th- like things against Latinos. I'm not saying that at all. I that just sounds like such a a line that a white guy wrote. <laughs> well, so, so, aren't they in a relationship? Yes, <laughs> they're it's, in it's, it's this, Yeah, first of all, okay. I don't know. I'm I'm prepared. If someone tell me, is this a black thing? You answer the phone when your mom's phone. <laughs> that does not strike me as something I have heard about before. And uh. then. The, the, but the way they talk to each other is like, again, yeah, you're right. It's like a white guy who, you know. He wants to, he's, I, it's like the things everyone's been wanting to say or something. Is what but, it but feels imagine, like. Yeah, but he, he imagines that a, a, a biracial relationship involves mostly just talking about the fact that you're biracial, you know. Like, I just, the, 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 I think probably the most prevalent um, interracial relationship has got to be right near the top, blacks and Latinos. It's just got to be, especially given, you know, black Latinos. <laughs> sure. You know? So, like, I just, I the, this this world where they're treating each other like aliens, well, not each other. Don Cheadle is treating her like she's an alien yeah. from another planet. Like, and maybe they're just, like, stepping on the side. Like, maybe this isn't like they're having a love connection. It does seem like he's been keeping her at at arm's length and is not emotionally involved. We later learn in the movie that his mother is a drug addict and that's why he will talk to her like that and doesn't care. But also why did you answer the phone? If you know that your mom, like, you know that your mom has substance abuse issue she's probably not calling for a real reason because we see later in the movie that she's sporadic and not dependable in all of these things and she is incessantly pestering him about his little brother who she clearly loves and cares about more than him and causes him a lot of pain and resentment. Okay. Those are all additional reasons why you would never answer the phone when you're having sex with your hot partner. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I, it's just, it, to me, I just, the, the thing that just baffles me every time I watched that scene was just the fact that, that it, it, it it's such I hate to say it's it's not good writing, you know? It's like these people right. would have other things to talk about. They would have other issues between them. Also, somebody somebody calls you knowing that you're not Mexican, Mexican. Yeah. And yeah. your response is, Why do you always keep people at arm's length? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you being an asshole to me? <laughs> then she circles back to the racing. And then again, I'm sorry. A black person who is fully cognizant of the realities of the diaspora and how many different kinds of black people there are. I'm just really, I'm just really struggling with the idea that a black person would be like, yes, all Latino cultures and countries are the same. And also this also just feels very LA. I feel like in LA, you guys just have a whole other like depth and fluency in Latino stereotypes than I'm familiar with. Cause I just, that sounds oh, like, like an insane thing to say. Yeah. Yeah, I just I that is not I am not from there. I don't understand. Yeah, I, I, I hadn't heard that before either. And and yeah, I'm I'm with you. It's um, but I think the thing that really gets me is so Don Cheadle is a producer on this film. Now that could mean a lot of things. What is? And I'm trying to like at this point in time. I mean, this is after Mouse. 
I'm wondering, like, so anyway, there's a couple of ways someone like Don Cheadle ends up a producer on a movie. One is it's a project he generates and he mm-hmm. goes and puts it all together and he's actually producing it. Another is, um, and this is an independently financed film, you need to get stars in your movie to get financing. There's, there's literally numbers attached to the value of any given actor. There's people you can go after and you'll get financing and people you go after and you won't. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's really surprising who's not quote unquote worth anything and really depressing. But sometimes mm-hmm. what will happen is you'll get somebody who's worth, you know, who can get paid a lot more money to be in a film who will come on a smaller independent film. And that, and this was, that's the amazing thing about this. And in exchange for which they will take like a producer credit. Mm. Um, Alec Baldwin is currently paying the price for that right now. I'm not expressing sympathy, but mm. it's like, I guarantee you Alec Baldwin just took a producing credit on that movie mm. to make up for the fact that he wasn't getting paid a lot of money. And now he's on the hook for someone getting shot because yeah. producer does carry it. So, you know, I my sense is Don Cheadle was not a producer producer. He wasn't a hands-on guy. He wasn't working on budgets and that's all fine. But at the same time, he carries weight on this set. And you would think that there would have been conversations at some point with the writer director about yeah. about exactly what you're talking about. It seems like there are certain things, small things that wouldn't involve rewriting the entire film where you could just say, This is not a thing we do, man. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's Speaking of things that black people don't do, let's cut to the kind of apotheosis of the Terrence Howard character arc. Uh. (laughs) Well, actually, no, tell me, because I I do actually feel like, okay, I'm interested to hear what you think, because it it feels like if we're talking about the same thing, I almost bought what's going on with him at the end for a couple of minutes at least. (sighs) Okay. And after after this, let's take some let's take some callers too, because I know we've been going yeah. in, and there's so much more. Okay, so as we've established, Terrence Howard and Tammy Newton have this interaction with Matt Dillon, where she gets violated, and they go home and they fight about it. By the way, I had the biggest fight with my college boyfriend about this because all the black men who saw this movie thought that Tammy Newton was so in the wrong by antagonizing the cop and then jeopardizing Terrence Howard's safety. And she was, and she later in a later scene acknowledges and apologizes that. for that. Yeah. yeah, which I think I mean I think her character. Yeah, she shouldn't have behaved that way, but she's not ridiculous. I mean, she was drunk, and her emotional response, I think, was valid and accurate. She just didn't well, yeah, she was also extremely traumatized. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's it's she's not saying yes. Yes. Yeah. So so they the, they fight after they get home. Tandy Newton later goes to the set where Terrence Howard's character is a producer of some kind on the film. I don't know. Maybe he's not a producer. You're an expert. You think he's a producer because he has a senior. No, no, no. He's a he's a director. He's a director. Um, Okay. Yeah, Tony Tony Danza's I guess my, my sense was the producer of the thing who's coming and yeah, telling him how okay. black people would act. Which uh, typecast L O L. Tony Danza problematic, am I making that up? I don't wanna I don't wanna be that that I don't know, but I don't think he has a name in this. One of the things I always love about Tony Danza is he always plays characters named Tony. <laughs> Does he really? <laughs> He's in so many things. And and my guess is because it makes it easier for him to remember. But that's That's hilarious. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So they film a scene. It goes well. Cut. Terrence, well, actually, I don't mean to be describing this. You just have to watch the movie for that little piece of nonsense. The point is that Tandy Newton approaches him on set to basically apologize. And in her apology, she's like, yeah, like the real, you know, at the end of the day, like it was just so hard for me to watch that cop like strip you of your dignity. Like it was hard. And maybe it's not the nicest thing to hear, but she didn't say it in an antagonistic way. She was just trying to explain her emotional response. And Terrence Howard, that seems like the last draw for him. He's like, 
Yeah, that's what happened, and walks off. Well, to to be fair, because we're, we're I think we're underselling it. He has just been dressed down by a white producer, by Tony Danza. Yeah, his producer. True. There, there's a character in the thing who's black, and he's not talking in Tony Danza's mind. He's not talking quote street unquote enough, and he comes to Terrence Howard. He's like, you got to fix that. And Terrence Howard for a minute gets angry, like you're going to tell me how black people talk, and then Tony Danza sort of pulls rank on him. Yeah, and he's got to he's got to pull it back in and do what the boss says. So he's already, he's just gone through another one of those situations when Tandy Newton comes to see him and talks about how humiliated he was. He's still feeling the sting of that humiliation. Yes. So he's now like triggered three times over or whatever. Yeah. But instead of standing up to Tandy Newton and confronting her and having a conversation, instead of standing up to Tony Danza and confronting him and having a conversation, he decides He's going to go mano y mano with the LAPD. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, because this is the movie that it is, Ludacris and Lorenz Tate go to steal another black SUV. This time, the one that actually does belong to Terrence Howard and Tanya Newton. Through the... Okay. Well, it's doubly they- ironic. Remember, because yeah. Ludacris makes a whole point about how he never never commits crimes against black people. He never commits crimes against black And this is, this is the thing about Ludacris. They give him all of these lofty ideals. He's quoting black revolutionaries. He's saying a lot of things that are right and true. And then they make him a buffoon and a hypocrite, which imperils the message, which I would rather him not say all of his revolutionary stuff because it just makes the, the, the takeaway from the movie is all his revolutionary stuff is stupid because Ludacris said it and he's yeah. stupid and, and inconsistent, sort of. Right. So he goes to hijack this car. I guess everyone, no one can tell what a black person looks like in this movie because it, I guess the presumption is that he kind <laughs> of didn't think, think he was. White? Yeah, I, I, that seems to be a little bit the subtext, right? Like they thought the they were Dillon not robbing. the same car over because he thought Terrence Howard was black. Exactly. With a white woman. And now these guys pull him over, try to hijack him because they think he's white. Yes. Let, let, red bones are just ruining America is a, is a real is <laughs> <laughs> a real lesson of this movie. <laughs> so, so, okay. What ends up happening is that, uh, okay, Lawrence Tate ends up not in the car. He, he's like, they, they get in a, in a, in a fist fight because Terrence Howard, uh, Terrence Howard has been pushed too far. He's not going to let his car get jacked. He's like, not today, Satan. And so he starts like confronting Ludacris with the gun and they're wrestling around on the floor because Ludacris has a moment of hesitation because he doesn't want to shoot Terrence Howard because he doesn't attack black people. He doesn't rob black people. He doesn't shoot black people. So as they're rolling around on the ground, a cop car drives by and starts to approach. And they're like, I know the cops. Somehow in the fray, it ends up being Terrence Howard and Ludacris in the car. Lorenz Tate runs off down an alley. Now Terrence Howard is in the driver's seat. Ludacris is in the passenger seat. And they're speeding away from the police. Terrence Howard gets Ludacris's gun from him. And now he's the captain now. They're racing down, and eventually they end up in a cul-de-sac, pulled over, and lo and behold, who's the police officer is Ryan Felipe, who's feeling all his mixed racial feelings and feeling guilty about his partner, Tim Dillon, and a bunch of other cops that are in another car. Now, But not just feeling guilty about his partner, feeling guilty about what his partner did to Tandy, to, to this man's wife, yeah. and his wife. Yeah. Do you have any idea? So I live in Los I hope some of your callers live in Los Angeles. Do you know what the odds are? <laughs> I, I heard LA is a great big city, but that's just what I heard from Pepper Baccarat. Apparently, that's incorrect. And <laughs> all a tiny these characters village. who are like one degree removed from each other just happening to bump into it. It's just yeah. It's it's beyond absurd. Okay, 
Terrence Howard, not only is he going to stand up to Ludacris and rest his gun away, he is also going to stand up to the LAPD. Now, the LAPD is now like, get out the car, get out the car. Here, let me just go to it. Let me just go to it. I can't. Let me just go to it. Here we go. The pursuit of a black navigator. Hands in plain sight. Step out of the vehicle. Slowly step out of the vehicle. Get out of my car. Oh, you so brave. You get out the car, man. Turn off the engine. Throw the keys out the window. Now, that was Terrence Howard. He took the gun that he took from Ludacris and put it in his pocket for some reason as he was getting out of the car. For some reason. He wants to be armed when he gets out of the car and confronts the police. Here I am, you big fuck. Lie face down on the ground. Spread no, your arms and legs. No, you lie face down on the ground and spread your arms and legs. Don't come any closer. Down on your knees. Fuck you, man. What are you going to do? Pull the fucking trigger then. On your knees now. You get on your knees and suck my motherfucking dick while you down there. Do I look like I'm fucking joking with you? That's what you look like a fucking joke to me. This man is making threatening gestures. Oh, threatening gestures? You want to see a threatening gesture? I got a threatening gesture for you. I know this man. I know this man. Get back. Fuck off. Give me some space. I know this guy. Get out of the you way. You don't fucking know me. Step Go away. Give me some goddamn room. I know this guy. Man, don't walk up on me. See what's happening here? Do you want to die here? Huh? Is that what you want? Because these guys really want to shoot you. And the way you're acting, they'll be completely fucking justified. Fuck you. Fuck Step me. Step away from me. Fuck me. I'm not the one who's fucked here. You're the one who's fucked here. Because you're the one whose head's going to be blown off and onto that man's patio. Officer Hanson, step away He's now. a friend of mine, okay? He's a fucking friend of mine. This man is not armed. He's not going to shoot you or me or anybody else, all right? So give me two goddamn seconds. You do that, lower your firearm. Lower your firearm. Okay, so he ends up lowering his firearm, and although there is a lot of tension because he is, in fact, armed, they let him get back into the car and drive away. Now, Josh, you said you found this scene to be credible. No, no, no. What, what I found is I found his emotional state to be credible. Um, okay. The point where he's just hit a fucking wall and is just exploding in incoherent and nearly suicidal rage. That that part I can buy. It's the part that he's still standing there five seconds after he starts screaming, suck my dick to the LAPD. Yeah. And also <laughs> for me, for me, it's the part where Ludacris this entire time is crouched mm-hmm. down in the passenger seat. When he gets back into his car, he drives off. Again, nobody says anything about Ludacris. Well, they don't see him. They, yeah, they, they don't check the car. They, they, yeah, they, they, don't they stopped the because they saw exactly. two people fighting on the road. Oh, that's so, true. Yeah. So even if you don't think there's, this is a stolen car, yeah. like, also Terrence Howard isn't afraid of Ludacris. He just hops back in the car with Ludacris. He doesn't say, like, okay, thanks, Ryan. You got my back. By the way, there is a thief in my car. <laughs> you guys maybe want to handle the Ludacris situation. Yeah, I think there's also sort of a white writer thing going on here, too, where it's because there's this weird moment of solidarity, you know, Terrence, Terrence Howard sort of feeling solidarity for this guy, you know, yeah, and and it's like, I will give him another chance, I don't know, it's all, and then doesn't he say, you disgust me, or you embarrass me? You, oh, this was, this was the, like the whitest shit I've ever heard, this is, this is so, like, oh, this made me so angry, I'm gonna play mm-hmm. it, I'm gonna play it, I'm gonna play it. So he gets in the car. Okay. Again, they drive right by the cops. Ludacris is just fully there in the seat. You can see at the top.
top of his little cornrowed head, and nobody apparently can see Ludacris. Okay. All right. The amazing, invisible Ludacris. Then he drives Ludacris, I guess, to the bus stop. Sorry, let me fast forward. He gives him back his gun. Yep. That's the thing you do to a guy who tries to carjack you. Yep. You embarrass me. You embarrass yourself. Can I just... Yeah, go ahead. Yep. Can I just say, I, I have a little more respect for Ludacris. If you just pointed the gun at him and said, great, give me your fucking car. I know, like, exactly. <laughs> like, what are you, a screenwriter, Josh? Like, who are you coming up with all these great ideas? <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's shamed by the experience. He slinks off. Like, what, are you going to have solidarity with black people? Or are you going to Bill Cosby black people? You can't do both. Are you going to tell him to, that he's a, he's a pox on the race? Or are you going to be like, look, you're a, a young guy in a bad situation, like make better decisions, you know? Okay, that I can imagine that kind of. But you disgust me. I'm ashamed of you. Like, yeah. come on, man. Okay, so I need to let some. I need to let some callers in because I've been going off, and I feel like I can feel. I can feel the energy of people. With <laughs> Jam, talk to me. Like, how are you feeling, Jam? Oh, first of all, you got me dying laughing. <laughs> uh, I remember watching, I remember when this movie like first came out and it was such a big deal. Everybody's trying to say it was like super good, but it's so, it's so like, like fantasy racism. Uh-huh. Like the movie, like a movie now that I will compare it to is that Will Smith movie on Netflix, Bright. I was just like cartoonishly oh like, speaking so about racism. Wow. It was so terrible. Like so terrible how like I was, talking about the racism uh, i remember i remember seeing it too thinking like uh, does terrence howard just hate like ludicrous this is the second movie where he beat up ludicrous on film <laughs> he beat his ass and up oh hustle and flow oh, I never he beat him up. He, like beat him up oh my god you got you gotta see that one yeah, he, he beat him up in the bathroom it's true. Yeah, I forgot three six mafia did. Yeah, three six mafia. Yeah, no, I was. Yeah, because this happened right afterwards. I thought it was weird. <laughs> that was crazy. Uh, and I wanted to say that I, I always love when you do an episode when it's, it talk about any type of film because I know a color purple reference is about to pop up. <laughs> <laughs> and it just makes my soul so happy. I loved it when you uh, referred to Danny Glover um, as Mister. And that, that episode with Leslie, I just died. I'm like, this is the blackest shit. She let's just be. It just makes my soul happy. But, but, you know, it's my favorite movie. Oh man. Oh yeah, like it's my mom's favorite movie too. I've seen that movie so many damn times. <laughs> but I think what's what's funny to me, like to seeing like more contemporary films talking about talking about race, how we haven't really like moved on, you know, have we haven't really got that much better, you know, with it. Like I said, Bright is a more contemporary film. But I think one of the only ones that's done a, like a good, a decent job is actually an animated film, Zootopia. Like Zootopia mm. was surprisingly mm. woke. Like mm. if, if you haven't seen it, you definitely should watch it. No, it was good. It was like, great. Um, 
yeah, it's crazy, like how you know how many how layered you know that film was in like in this race. It's kind of crazy. Disney cartoon was doing better than mm. you know than this like pretentious film that tried to be so serious like the, the entire time. Yeah, I really so, enjoyed so Utopia. Although now that I'm rewatching Crash, I'm a little bit afraid to sing its praises because it's been some years since I've seen it. So like, don't come for <laughs> me if Zootopia is secretly <laughs> terrible. I'll have to re-verify <laughs> my memory. <laughs> My memory of Zootopia that it was, was that it was excellent. <laughs> yeah, I have like literal like, shock value. Like it feels now to me in Hollywood that the main focus, whenever there's going to be a movie about race, is it's either about the evils and brutality of slavery or the evils and brutality of police violence. Like those are the primary I mean, aspects of the black experience in America. If all I got was movies, pretty, pretty much, I would think so. It's I mean, because never- we don't really have. Oh, go ahead. No, you, go ahead. Ahead, you go ahead, Jan. Um, I'm like, we don't really have. Like, it's something I talk to a lot of, like my union brothers down, like down here, like getting people like uh, comfortable about race, like talking about police brutality and and um and like the type of racism of like that 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 ilk is just what's the only type that's really like spoken about. You know, that's the only one. That's the only type of racism where. Where like I hate to say it, or a lot of white people feel comfortable like yeah. understanding it, like they understand, sure. you know, that type of type of racism. And, I'm not and I've, I've we never meet. done that, so it's I'm, <laughs> I'm safe, I'm good. Then I guess this movie is kind of daring because with the Sandra Bullock character, she is she is like the the Karen stand-in. She is the white woman stand-in, and she mm-hmm. is not great. <laughs> so she ends up, obviously, we heard her you know, uh, malign the young man who comes to fix her door, her locks on her door, uh, who is the only, as we've established, the only good person in this movie, the only unequivocally good person in this movie. She then goes on to berate her housekeeper, who's obviously doing a very good job taking care of her kid, a kid which we never see in the entire duration of the movie, Um, and only has a change of heart when she falls down the stairs. Calls all her friends to come and get her, and nobody answers the phone, including her husband. And the only but then her maid comes. Her maid comes. <laughs> and then do the you have maid... that line? Do you at least have that line? That is the greatest line in the movie. Wait, which one? That she says to her maid. Oh wait, wait here, 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 here we go. I got, I got, I got the scene. I got you. You got it. This is worth waiting for, folks. Do you want to hear something funny? This is Jean. You're the best friend I've got. (laughs) You're the best friend I've got. Because you helped me when I fell down the stairs. It's literally your job. (laughs) I'm paying you to do that. You You talk about that. It's so cartoonish. There's a really obscure film, unfortunately too obscure, called Serial, S-E-R-I-L, uh, from 1980 that is this hilarious satire of uh, life in Marin County in the 70s. And, you know, all the sort of crystals and health food and all the rest of that. Huh. And there's a fantastic bit where one of the, I wish you remember the actresses who played her, but there's a, a white woman who hires, she hires a black maid. Mm-hmm. And the black maid shows up the first day on the job and she's wearing a maid's outfit. And she goes, oh, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not liking this message you're sending. I, uh, here, I need you to, um, you know, put on some of my clothes, you know. And the, the woman says, oh, so you want your friends just to think I'm your black friend? And she's like, yes, who comes to your house to clean everything? 
<laughs> and it's so much more savage than that. You know? it's just, and it's 20 years earlier. <sighs> yeah, I'm also, by the way, rewatching Sopranos right now, and they have a. Oh. The, it's such a better and more sophisticated handling of race, too. Because they yeah. do the thing where, like, they, yeah. they are, lots of them are mad racist, right? But Completely. it's not cartoonish. It's like, right. okay, Tony Soprano, they all. they He hates when his daughter's dating a black guy. But also, there's like all these uh, Trinidadian women who end up taking care of various elderly people in their lives. And other characters will be very openly racist toward them. But some other characters, like Tony, is like at least appreciative of the care that they're giving that their loved ones. And so you get all these different shades and gradations of racism. Mm. So Tony's the kind of guy who doesn't have anything against you unless you mess with his family, unless you're literally sticking it to my mm. daughter. Well, do you right? remember the great, great, great Sopranos episode? It begins with that um, white family in the city getting carjacked. Wait, say more because like, I've watched almost oh, so all of like, it now. It's the beginning of the episode. It's it's like about the middle of the series, and it's like two black guys carjack them and take off, and it's this nice family. They're all white. They oh yeah, yeah, them. yeah. And the father just starts screaming the n word. He's like, "Who else would do this?" He's screaming, and you cut immediately to Tony holding a Polaroid of the car and laughing because, of course, they stole it for him. Right, 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 right. Yeah, and then the, all the all the dynamics with how the Italian mobsters are looking at the black mobsters and this yep. like it's it's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, this- Kyle, I, I want to ask you something. Please. Like, um, something I've been uh, I think uh, some of the you kind of like touched upon uh, within like previous like episodes about like how other cultures, how like mainstream or white culture doesn't have like a a look or a view into um into like black culture and like black film in particular and something that I've been uh, talking to a lot of people about, I want to get your, your uh, input on it. It seems like I, I want to, it seems like to me that of, of late, it seems like uh, we have like this, like this need to try to act like, like it's a, it's a, it's a big deal to have like black representation, like in film and, and like TV and stuff now, mm-hmm. especially when we have like black, uh, black woman led stuff. Mm-hmm. And it seems, cause it was coming from, it seems like people are coming from a place like we never really like had that, especially in within like the past, you know, like 20 odd years or something. And I just mm-hmm. find it so weird because it's almost like erasing all like the black media, you know, that we've had. Yeah. I don't know how y'all you know, were like, raised, but I was raised having to sit down and watch Claudine. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, like well, a thing that's wild to me, like when that uh, Ocean's Eight movie uh, came out, you know, it was supposed to be a big thing, big uh, crime film, folks on women. Mm-hmm. That was like the big, you know, push forward. Then, like right after that, I think like Widows came out, and, and there's another one too with um uh, with the lady comedian. I can't think of her name that came out. Uh, like just like women crime films, they're trying to act like you know like, this is like off. a big new thing. That was exactly what I was trying. I'll be telling people, I'm like, yo, like set it up exists and it's great. Like, you know, like it seems like it seems like you know older like black culture films. Like into if you were to look at them like in today's like today's uh, view, they would seem like a hit at the time. You know, like set it off as a violent, you know, uh, crime film with a full female cast. Mm-hmm. How like had um, a lesbian couple in it was mm-hmm. nothing. Like it wasn't like frowned upon or anything. But mm-hmm. like when I bring that up to people, especially like my with some of my white friends, like I never heard of that. Like never, never seen of that. Never well, seen. I don't know. That to you is virtuous. Mm-hmm. We're not well, being virtuous yeah. by bringing you set it off. We're just giving you a great movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's like because the cause thing is, is like. I don't know what what t- what time period it was in. I, I want to say like the mid 
probably around the time Crash came out, where it was just like all everything, all like the studios and stuff that we used to like green light a lot of like black films and like black um TV pretty much like went away. Like UPN like mm-hmm. um like disappeared and stuff, and that's where the majority of a lot of like black uh uh, television was and uh, New Line Cinema um it stopped uh, stopped green lighting a lot of you know black films I think they went away too I'm not I'm not for certain so like we yeah, had like the eradication that we had like an eradication of like black Hollywood so it's like so and it's, it's so weird it's not me now seeing people like talk about Regina King because of like Watchmen and stuff I'm like yo like she's been poetic justice no been all this all this other things and it's even weirder seeing like had. black people. <laughs> Exactly, yeah, and it's even weirder seeing like black people take on the same the same thing, talking about like, oh, we need to represent like, well, we kind of like had it, you know. It was like I didn't grow up not seeing black faces like on TV and everything, you know. Yeah, I know that um, T over at Champagne Sharks, and I think Leslie also they talk about this sometimes that there is this like people market everything by saying it's the first. Uh, and right. this is mm-hmm. like the black version of this and we got to do black Bridgerton, you know, we got to do like black Elizabethan drama or, you know, what everything is, mm-hmm. is like white people do this and progress is for black people to do the same thing white people have done, which has the, both the effect yeah. of having derivative stories and then also the effect of erasing the fact that black people very much have been putting out artistic product before 2009. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> yeah, can exactly. we talk about Hell Duke, you know, and uh, um, Deep Cover or Hell Up in Harlem? I mean, it's it's yeah no I I get your point it was it was that there's a movement now um, to address that uh, issue consciously as opposed to because um, you know the, the filmmakers you're talking about had to work really hard to break through Gary yeah. Gray had to work really hard to break through and get mm-hmm. set it off and you know Bill Duke was an actor forever yeah. and had to put up with all sorts of shit so it's it's a little bit without saying it's easier uh, I mean that it's easy it it is there is more of a path now for those filmmakers and also the studios have figured out. I don't know though. They made that part of the, but I, but I don't know if I can agree, but I don't know if I can agree that it's easier now. Cause we get like less of them. I be like, we don't really see like as many like black, just black films, like how we used to, I say, even in the very early, like two thousands, like late nineties and stuff, you know, like people talk a lot about, you know, that's having a lot of like black, like rom-coms, but you know, like deliver us from, from evil, deliver, yeah, deliver us from evil, like was a thing mm-hmm. and stuff. Like we had, like it was like, love like Jones, black Hollywood. Basketball. Well, yeah, Love Jones. Like it was a, it's a, we, like we had a lot of, um, you know, like black, black film, but we just don't see it. We don't see that uh, level anymore. When one does come out, it's really like talked about, like as it's like a new thing, like it's, groundbreaking Josh, what do you, you know? think about that because like when I, if i think about black romances that are from the contemporary era i can think of that that awful sorry i'll say it's awful you don't have to say i know that josh you don't want to go on on these people but Issa ray and um what's his oh, name the photograph. Now, the photograph oh, movie. yeah i like Issa did ray not ray. like it i i, I like oh my god Issa ray is the most wooden i like her as a person i support her to do i mm-hmm. have great things in life she's Same. beautiful skin but she is a Same. wooden Actress. <laughs> oh my! She is so it, I don't even. Oh my god! Like, yes, and it was romantic. like, 
It's like the every 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 time she was on screen, like her and Keith Sanfield was on screen, it got boring. Yes. Like the 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 main love story and the exciting was about like the her mom. parents' love story. Yes. That's what you wanted to see. Like, yes. But when, every time they came back to the contemporary time, I'm like, what the hell am I watching? Well, like it's so dull. Two <laughs> mumblers, I mean to interrupt your point. Two mumblers <laughs> mumbling at each other in a beautiful apartment that it's not clear why either of them can afford it because we never hear anything about their jobs. Or I guess Lakeith is a photographer. <laughs> And her and and you said I think inherited yeah, he was a writer. this apartment or something. Oh, they 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 were doing that. that that's that's a staple of movies. Yeah. That is that is that is a staple mm-hmm. of movies. But yeah. as a New Yorker, I wanted some more exegesis about that apartment. Always, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but thank thank you, Jam. Like you raised a good point. But let me let me let me um put that question to you, Josh. Yeah. Why do you think that we're getting like, uh, the photograph? Why we're getting the other one? I can think of is the one with um. Percy Jackson's wife. I'm so sorry to do that to her. She just looks so beautiful <laughs> on the red carpet. What's her name? You know who I'm talking about. I don't. Oh, okay. sorry, I can think of her name. Uh, it's it's K- Slim. Something in Slim. That movie. Ke- oh, oh, yeah, Queen yeah, and Slim. Yeah, yeah. Queen and Slim. Yeah. Well, there there is a thing mm-hmm. happening, and I wonder. I mean, I think also there's so much more content now that stuff gets lost. But there is a real focus in my business now on making it clear. You know, and I, I want to distinguish. It's not just that the focus is on. Um, you know, giving uh, opportunity to more diverse voices. It's to be seen giving opportunity to more mm. diverse voices. Mm. Um, and I think what's happening is, I mean, that's, that's where you get to what I was saying earlier. Where I think, you know, it's still a lot of stuff that, you know, only focuses on uh, the most traumatic aspects of the black experience, mm. which I remember seeing uh, Detroit, um, with a with a black friend, we were at a screening of it. I don't know if you guys did anybody even that movie came and went, thankfully, but it was, you know, just just it, it was basically torture porn about, you know, based on a true story yeah. of killing some some black kids in the sixties. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm hating the movie and he's hating the movie. And we're walking out after but the thing he said to me was like, he's like, Can you imagine if they kept making movies about you, but all they ever did was make yeah. it about that time you got raped? Yeah. Yeah, and it was like, yeah, and and, and they're also proud. Everybody involved with it is like, look, we've we've shown a light on this incredible story, and you know, it's like there's exactly. a lot of. I, I'm I'm and I'm also thinking what everybody's talking here about. Uh, you know, for years I was obsessed with um, Bass Reeves, who's this amazing character out of American folk, American history. He was a, a black um, uh, sheriff. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was a black sheriff essentially, who um, our marshal. Uh, who's an ambidextrous dead shot. And he's this absolutely incredible character in the Old West. So, so good at his job that most of the time when, you know, men found out Bass Reeves was after him, they gave themselves up. Mm-hmm. And for years, tried to get stuff made and and couldn't. And uh, there's a movie now on uh, Netflix called The Harder They Fall, where they've taken him and a bunch of other amazing, yeah. little-known characters from, you know, African-American, black the Black West, if you will, mm-hmm. and done the best thing with them. The thing we do with you know, white cowboy character. It's like, there's not a single movie about Billy the Kid that's really about Billy the Kid. He becomes this kind of mythic comic book character. Mm -hmm. And they've done that with all these characters. Delroy Lindo plays Bass Reeves and, you know, they're off in this almost kind of comic book thing, but they're mythologizing them in the way we've been doing to white people forever. And I Mm -hmm. loved it. And it's not about, you know, black suffering and torment and torture. And it's like, beautiful. What is the kind of disparity? Sorry, go ahead. I would say that's what makes me like nostalgic of like the older films, like watching stuff like like uh like Money Talks, and I think it's the reason why so many people like are endearing to Friday as a, like a staple movie 
it's because it's just like people like having fun doing silly shit in the hood. You know, we don't we don't really see we don't really like see that you know in films anymore. It's always like like you said like this big like tragic you know tragedy stuff. And but also, it, it I'm feels sorry like I didn't mean not, to Those movies aren't being made for. It doesn't feel like a lot of these movies are being made for a black yes. audience anymore. I was about to say that. Yeah, no, Friday's True. was, you know, and it broke True. out. And, and even broke. though we mm-hmm. have more black right. producers, like when Ava DuVernay gets behind the camera, she's still doing torture porn. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not right. saying there's not content that's useful in the 13th and all those things. I'm just saying, mm-hmm. like, you would think that if you had got those kinds of opportunities, we'd be seeing more, you know, waiting to exhales. <laughs> you know, or exactly. you know, the good stuff. I'm looking at I'm looking at this list. I Google black romantic comedies, and what we got mm-hmm. right now is Malcolm and Marie. <laughs> that was not made for black people. I'm sorry. No. I love Zendaya, but like now, nobody made that movie thinking this is geared mm-hmm. toward a black audience. Black people will watch it because exactly. we like to watch things with black people in them. But it was not made for us. I'm looking at if Beale Street could talk, which is great, but also struggle porn, like mm-hmm. torture porn. Um, yep. And then the only contemporary movie I can see here that was a solid romantic comedy, like within the last ten years, I got to give it up to Beyond the Lights. I, oh, right. I know what's I his name is canceled. I know, yeah. but Google Mbutha Raw and um, Nate Nathan, God, what's that guy's name? Nate. His, he was in the Nat Turner movie, so I always want to call him Nat Turner. Oh yeah, I know he's talking about. Uh, yeah, he was in the Great Debaters too. Yeah, I know yes, what you're talking about. Yes. Whatever his name is, he did a a great job. Like that's a, an a, an excellent romantic comedy. Mm. I was on all my feels. I hit all the parts. Oh, like, um, um, uh, my family wedding. That's a, that's another one. Uh, with, um, with a uh, Forrest Whitaker and uh, Lance Gross. That's that's another more contemporary one. I think. Um, I what's her Lance name? Gross. Who's Ugly Let Betty? Me um, yeah. Who? What's her name? That was Ugly Betty. Um, uh, America. America um, uh, I can't think of her last name. America Ferrera. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, the oh, Lance Gross character is getting married to her. Yeah, that, that was a nice one. I didn't watch this. I confess it's because of my own issues, which I'm not going to talk about on this podcast. But <laughs> I, um, I could be open to it, but I have not seen this movie. <laughs> you, 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 should, you should see it. I think you would enjoy that one. All right. Only for Lance yeah, but I, I, <laughs> well, I don't think, I think, like, we don't really see, like, a black media made for black people like that anymore. It's because of like I was talking about with like the erasure of like black Hollywood. Like black once a black culture became more mainstream, uh, like you stopped really seeing like a black media market where it's, it stopped. We stopped seeing people like making films and television for you know like uh, black people. Like it, it's weird while going back and watching like older sitcoms. It was like um, it's not watching older like black sitcoms. It's not like every episode they got to talk about how they're how they're being black and oppressed. It's like they know they're talking to black people, so like we we know what's going on already. But like when I watch the um, I think it was like the Carmichael show. Seems like every episode like had to talk about uh like some political thing and how it affects like black people. It's like yo, who are you talking to? <laughs> like you know, like we like, we don't talk like yeah. this. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jam. I'm gonna try to get a couple more in here before we wrap up because I know we're coming up on two hours and I I'm supposed to do this third party conference. I can't remember if it's at seven or at seven thirty. But thank you, Jam. <laughs> Um, let's Thank get, you. go ahead and respond to that if you wanted, Josh, but I got Brian in the queue. Oh, no, I was just saying really quickly, and there, there was a whole, and I think, I don't know how much it, I know it registered, I don't know if it registered the same way outside of the business, but the whole, how the Oscars so white thing, mm-hmm. um, really, really was like dropped a bomb in a way that 
I, I found infuriating because, um, and I say this, you know, I'm a member of the Academy. I am not defending the Academy. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you, as a member of the Academy, we don't get to pick what gets made. Mm. We, we can only vote on what he's made. And there seemed to be this thing where the studios leapt on the Oscar So White movement because it let them off the hook. They were like, yeah, yeah, it's the Academy Awards fault that, that there aren't as many black mm. films being made. And you're like, well, you, you're the guys who greenlight them. And since then, there seems to have been this kind of movement to make sure people really, really see that the studios are making movies that, you know, black content and so forth, but that they're doing it in a way that will appeal to, you know, what they perceive to be a mainstream audience. Yeah. Instead of making the kind of movies you're talking about. Yeah, which, by the way, do appeal to a me. But <laughs> the Friday and all of those movies yeah. that were made, yeah. I think, for yeah. black audiences appealed broadly because they were just good. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Brian? Well, actually, Josh, this is um, – you just inspired me. I have a question about the Oscars then. Does everybody in the Academy get to vote for, like, every category in, like, the Academy Awards? Uh, there's two rounds. You you get to vote first in whatever category you're in. I'm in writers. So you get to vote to nominate – um, people in your category or categories. We do best original, best adapted. Uh, and then you vote, everybody has to vote on best picture. And then once the nominees or the nominations uh, are, are locked in and announced, there's another round of voting. In fact, I think it just started today where we all get to vote on everything. Yeah, I kind of feel like that's part of the problem in and of itself. And I can't really speak about the movie part because I'm more of a music person. Uh But, like, I kind of feel like you should only, like, you should, like, box off, like, what your specialty is and just, like, vote on what you know. Because, like, for the Grammys, like, if you don't know five Jasmine Sullivan songs, you should not be voting for who is best (laughs) R&B song. Like, I'm sorry. It should not happen. There's definitely aspects, like, I, I feel very qualified to vote on several categories that I do not practice professionally. But seriously, sound editing? I mean, I've sat in sessions where I watch them. I know what it is probably more than most people. I can't tell you by watching a movie what has the best sound editing, mm. you know? And it's like, but but that's, you know, ultimately who's going to decide who wins is a bunch of idiots like me who have no idea how to tell. Yeah. <laughs> but but you're, you're, you're not entirely wrong. But the nominations are, um, except for Best Picture, are chosen by people in that field. Yeah, but back to Crash, and I guess I'll be the contrarian today, since um, (laughs) there's a sample for that, yeah. Um, Obviously, I agree with, like, all of the critiques in Crash, but I'm also mindful of the fact that, like, you know, like, the American normie population, Mm. um, a lot of them, like, I went to go see Crash when I was a teenager with my mom and my stepdad, Mm -hmm. and my mom, like, walked out, and not because, not from, like, a leftist progressive critique, but she was like, ah, they're talking about race this whole movie. Like, I just can't. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I think that's interesting that, like, <laughs> It was radical be... at the time. Yeah. 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 Well, I, think, I think what he's saying is, is and I, it's an interesting point. It's a valid one because I, I knew people, my grandmother, for one. You remember that movie Philadelphia, mm-hmm. which drove me crazy on a million levels. One being like, oh, wow, Tom Hanks is playing a gay guy. Wonderful. He never even, I don't think he ever even holds hands with his boyfriend in that movie, mm. Antonio, Antonio Banderas. And, you know, I could write a book just as a straight man. I'm sure, you know, I know there are gay people who can write even more stringent and angry books on what's wrong with that movie. Mm. But my grandmother, it changed her. It changed the way she thought mm-hmm. of this stuff. Mm. Because Tom Hanks was playing a gay guy. She's like, oh, maybe I'm wrong. So, yeah, it's like, who is the movie made for? Which is something I kept writing down while I was watching Crash again. Because... Um, <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, I get that. I mean, sometimes you think I don't like gangbangers, but then <clears throat> I've learned from this movie that sometimes they reform and unlock a car <laughs> full of Southeast Asian uh, human trafficked human beings in the middle of Chinatown while also referring to them by a variety of racial epithets. And it really changed my mind about how I looked at uh, thieves. Car, car, I totally car forgot car that storyline because, <laughs> like, oh at God. first I was going to call in and say that, like, Oh, us Asians, we're not really in the movie. And then I was like, oh, shit, oh, no, we no, are. No. Oh, yes, we are. <laughs> and the, I'm really the, sad about it. <laughs> the, the, the person at whom the, the Latina partner throws the racial epithet at is the wife of the the, the, the people who are trafficking these Yes. Uh, these Asians. <laughs> yes, I was just like, ooh, ooh, I guess I forgot that for a reason. <laughs> so. Right. <laughs> um, right. But I think that the problem with Crash, like, I remember the backlash happened because it beat Brokeback Mountain for mm. Best Picture yeah. mm-hmm. at the Oscars. And, like, I'm a proud, like, gay person, and I'm sorry, but Brokeback Mountain was also boring. So I think, like, it was a, <laughs> it was just, like, um... An off year in general. I, I don't have strong enough memories of Brokeback to weigh in, except for that. Do you agree? I mean, it has to have been better written than this. It oh my god, has to have been. Yeah, I, I, yes. I bit, I'm not gonna. I can't critique it from a gay point of view. I, um, I both loved it and also it was because um, I was here. I, I went up. I people. I spent an entire season just going to award shows and losing awards to Larry McMurtry, who's one of the greatest writers in America. I, I couldn't be happier about that. I mean, it's a beautifully <laughs> written film. So, Joel, I, I understand that, you know, to, some folks may have found it boring because it's not. Uh, I, I, I get that, too. But it is an astonishingly well-written movie. And, um, and pretty. Uh, I remember it being scenic. Well, well, yeah, I mean, it makes, like, the mountains look really nice and stuff. But I yeah. think, like, I was having a debate with one of my friends about, like, all of this stuff. Because as, like, you know, leftist, progressive, slash Bernie bros, whatever, like, yeah. we understand, like, the critique of, like, um, identity reductionism when it comes to, like, Kamala being VP and stuff. Mm-hmm. But how much of that should it, like, should it color or inform like the way we look at pop culture. And I don't really, I don't really have a clear answer on that, but I know that I actually fall more on like, like I'm not really, I'm a lot more critical of representation, even in just pop culture than like a lot of my friends who might also be like leftists and anti Kamala, but still like love Ava DuVernay. Um, Mm -hmm. And even me, like for an Asian person, like everybody loves like turning red right now. And I like hate it. (laughs) And I think that, yeah, the new Disney movie um, with like the Asian thirteen-year-old uh, lead animated. Is, isn't it about lead. like menstruation? Am I making that up? That's my understanding. Is it not? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. So like, there's that element, but like, it's also like, I don't know, like I like when it comes to, like representation, all like who is the movie for? Like thinking about like where is the fine line between like culture and stereotype? Because, like, parts of the movie, I'm just like, oh, my God, like, you're making this mom look so bad. And, like, the takeaways are going to be, like, not great. (laughs) So, I don't know. I I will say, like, the thing about this movie, we can critique it for being basic, which it is by today's standards. But even if you agree that, like, Brian, I take your point that it it was kind of radical back then. It was affecting to your mom, you know, that kind of thing. And for people who aren't as familiar with you, your, your mom's white, right? She's Italian, which, by the way, Jennifer Esposito, who plays the um, woman of Latin experience, yeah. um, she's also Italian. <laughs> she's not. Is she really? <laughs> she, yeah. 
What? <laughs> yeah. So they did not cast a la- Latina woman in that role. What are we even doing here? What are we doing here? <laughs> I know it's it's wild in like 2020 to look at this film in a 2022 lens. <laughs> okay, between that and the fact that Tandy Newton, whom I also really love, even though she's a little bit canceled right now. <laughs> yeah. Even though, even though, like, I love her. She cannot stick an American accent. I'm sorry, she can't do it. She every time she shouts at Terrence Howard, she sounds like a little a little British girl trying to get out of the closet. Yeah. She and, and in that movie where she played Will Smith's wife, um, Pursuit of Happiness. Oh, she's supposed to have like kind of a black scent in that one, and it's just embarrassing. Don't do it, Tandy. Just play British roles. It's fine. We love you as you are. It's fine. Be British. <laughs> but anyway, between between Tandy Newton and this new revelation that Home Slice wasn't even Latina, I can't even. I can't even. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you for dropping that bomb, Brian. I don't even know what to do at this point. I, I feel like... <laughs> thank you. I, I feel like um, we talked about a lot of storylines. And there's a part of me that is like obsessive-compulsive that wants to wrap up and, and give completion to all these storylines. But, of course, <laughs> people can just watch this movie on HBO or wherever. And they don't need me to tell them about what befalls uh, Lorenz Tate or, (laughs) or the whole thing where Tim Dillon ends up saving Tandy Newton's life in some kind of redemptive arc. Yeah. You you guys will figure that out. That's at least interesting. And, And the most plausible, by the way. Dramatically. Yeah, absolutely. The most plausible and dramatically the most interesting. And you can see like, I, I was thinking about when I'm watching it, I'm like, th- this scene is why Matt Dillon took the film. It's the only reason. Yeah. Um, and I like that they didn't make her, like, grateful or anything. They had them exchange a look, which was very yeah. weighted. So she gets in a car accident. Uh, he ends up being the first responder because, again, L.A. only has 15 people in it. And, um, you know, he very much saves her life and is demonstrates a lot of bravery in doing so because he puts himself at risk in a burning car with fuel and stuff. And... She pulls her out. They like, or there's a brief embrace, but then she's whisked away by paramedics. And she looks over her shoulder and she looks at him and he looks at her. And you get this feeling that like he's wrestling with the fact that he has violated this woman, who now he's forced to see as a victim and a person whose life is worth saving in a professional capacity, and struggling with that. And then she's looking at him like he literally raped me, but also he just saved my life. And them's the breaks. And it's it's a pregnant, weighty look. And it was satisfying. I found it to be cinematically satisfying. Yep. I mean, it's still, it's still like, oh yeah, you have problems with these guys until you need one. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. still basic propaganda. <laughs> yes, this is a, this is a big pro cop movie. I will say the, the part we didn't get to, and maybe this is the last clip I'll play before we wrap up here. Um, and I have to go interview Jill Stein at seven thirty. You guys should watch oh. the <laughs> the third party. Um, Are you guys just going to cackle about how you? Um, uh, I don't know, what is it you're supposed to have done with her? I don't know. Uh, elected elected Trump. Trump. Right? Did you elect Donald Trump? Yeah, got yeah. rid of Roe v. Wade. We're yeah. both Putin puppets. I did this yeah. week's episode of Bad Faith. I'm interviewing uh, an, a former RT host. She famously sat down with Putin. We're going to swap stories about how much we like borscht. It's going to be a whole thing. Awesome. <laughs> I, I want to thank you, by the way, for all those things. They're all they're all great. In any time, I, I I crawled so you know Jill Jill Stein crawled, Jill Stein crawled so I could walk, and the next one will fly. See, by the way, ask her if she watches The West Wing. That's a little. 
we'll, we'll see if I can get that in there. You want to, you want to come on the West Wing thing? Oh my God. We'd kill to have her. Are you kidding? Just, I would, I feel like she would definitely come on. I feel like I, she might. Marianne did. Yeah. I think that's some of your audience. I don't know. You still have a lot of like LA liberals who listen, right? Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, they, you know, they, we, we fix them. We change them. <laughs> you might lose some subscribers over Jill. Stein, oh, that's but... fine. No, but they, they don't, they don't. Yeah. Nobody, nobody comes on our show with, with, with that mindset, <laughs> leaves with that mindset. She would, she would help us fix them. Well, the, the last, the last bit. Also, by the way, I found a whole page of notes with time marks that I just discovered that I wrote down, but it was obscured by a paperclip and I'm very upset with myself. This could have been much more smoothly. <laughs> I was like, I thought I took more notes than this. I did. It's just, I pinned this paper, paperclip to erase a page. But there, okay, this scene, remember what I said earlier that white people only dress down, like they're the ones that get to have actual exposition about race. Like they talk about race, everyone else is just racist. Okay, Don, Don Cheadle, there's one more storyline that we haven't touched upon at all. Oh, God. Which is that Don Cheadle and our, his Italian partner <laughs> report to a crime scene where a, it turns out a white cop has shot a black person. Upon further examination, it turns out the black person was a cop too. Twist, to which yep. Don Cheadle says, oh, you shot the wrong N-word. But then, twist, twist, it turns out that that guy was a corrupt cop and had a trunk full of money, and we don't know where it came from. So now the DA, played by Brendan Fraser, because, again, there's only 15 people in L.A., um, is uh, his team, his, the DA's team, is interviewing Don Cheadle about how to make this not a bad media story for the police department and the criminal justice infrastructure of Los Angeles. And Don Cheadle's like, oh, well, the black guy turns out he's a bad guy, so... It is what it is. Let's lock him up and keep on pushing. Or he's dead, but, you know, let's just maybe a justified shooting. The white guy who shot him did shoot two other black people and seems to have a record of doing this. So then we get this scene where he's confronting this this DA junior guy, is confronting Don Cheadle about how to handle this case. And it's very, it's exemplary of how white people deal with race in the context of the universe of Crash. Okay, this is the last one. This is the last one. This Conklin has two suspicious shootings on his record. Both black men, both times he was cleared, but only just. Detective Lewis makes black man number three. You know any reason why we shouldn't hang Conklin for this? Well, it's, uh, it's more complicated than we originally thought. We found $300,000 in the trunk of the car that Detective Lewis was driving. Shit. Oh, go down to the garage, tell him to stay in the car until he hears from me. He found the money in the Mercedes. I thought that wasn't his car. Well, the car's actually registered to a Cindy Bradley. We haven't been able to get in touch with her yet. Apparently, she uh, left town this morning. So it wasn't Lewis's car. He may not have even known the money was in it. <laughs> you really think you're going to be able to make that fly? Latasha Harlins, Rodney King... These names ring a bell, Detective? Yeah, vaguely. We have attorneys for this slain police officer camping in our offices. We have his mother and a half a dozen men of the cloth who swear that Lewis was one of the 12 apostles of Christ. We have two black city councilmen and a congresswoman who call on the hour, every hour, demanding to know what the district attorney intends to do about this. And you want him to walk into that press room and tell them all that the situation is complicated? White people will not let racism be complicated. <laughs> Just a minute. 
No problem. That was the black assistant from earlier that they're now dismissing from the room. Who knows about the money? You gotta be kidding me. There are only two people in this room. Myself, my partner, Ferguson in Internal Affairs. Jim Ferguson? Yeah. I guess I don't see a problem. As it wasn't Lewis's car, the money isn't clear evidence of any wrongdoing. And even if it was, we aren't going to prosecute a dead man, which means the money internal affairs is holding can't even be considered evidence. Well, you know, you can do this whole dance if you want to, but I'm willing to bet when the coroner's report comes back tomorrow, it's going to say that Detective Lewis was coked out of his head. Fucking black people, huh? What did you just say? I mean, I... You know, I know all the sociological reasons why. Per capita, eight times more black men are incarcerated than white men. Schools are a disgrace, lack of opportunity, bias in the judicial system, all that stuff. All that stuff. But still, it's, it's got to get to you. On a gut level, as a black man, they just can't keep their hands out of the cookie jar. <sighs> yep. Don Chula and I have the same look on our face. Truth, but that's the way it always plays, doesn't it? And assholes like Lewis just keep feeding the flames. It's got to get to you. What did you say you did for the DA again? Coach Ball down at Compton, am I right? Oh, please, don't do that. Don't act like you know something about me, okay? What do you think those kids need to make them believe, to give them hope? You think they need another drug-dealing cop, or do you think they need a fallen black hero? Why don't you cut through the bullshit, Flanagan, and just tell me what it is you want? DA squad loses its lead investigator next month. Rick is quite adamant that his replacement be a person of color. It's a high-profile position, and he wants to send the right message to the community. And the right message is, look at this black boy I just bought? <laughs> well, fuck you very much, but thanks for thinking of me. Actually, we were thinking of you. Until we saw that. It's your brother's file. 20-something years old and already three felonies. Three strikes law. Kids going away for life for stealing a car. Christ, that's a shitty law. There's a warrant in there. But still, hey, you had every opportunity you had. Oh, boy. Okay. Josh, <laughs> I'm going to stop there. So what they're doing is, it turns out his, um, his brother is Lorenz Tate, who has been robbing all of the people. And they're offering, they're saying basically don't tattle on, you know, go with our basic story that this was just an act of police violence because every DA's office loves it when the L.A. public hears about an instance of racial violence perpetrated by a police officer. I need you, black man, to help me, help me make this an instance of white on black crime. And if you don't, I'm extorting you over your brother's, uh, your brother's uh, criminal record. I am a good liberal, so I'm going to have this throwaway line about how, oh, the three strikes law is bad, but I'm not going to do anything about it, even though I work in the district attorney's office. I'm fairly senior, apparently. I'm I'm going to both occupy the space of the white liberal and uh, the prosecutor, the literal prosecutor. Josh, you're you got you're you're muted. Sorry about that. Sorry, yeah. sorry. He's also, um, you know, when he's laying all that stuff about how 
you know, about black folks and, you know, although I suppose there's reasons, you know, he's saying this is how it's perceived. I'm not saying I endorse it, but he's still, yeah, as you say, he does none of his actions, actual actions don't belie anything he's saying. Which is the movie kind of telling on itself, right? Because I do think there's definitely an attitude among white liberals to say, I know why this is wrong. So it's okay for me to say fucking black people. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and sort of, uh, he gets to call it out while engaging in it at the same time. Yep. It, which is kind of makes him actually the ludicrous of this movie. He's the white ludicrous. <laughs> <laughs> he and ludicrous on parallel tracks in this movie. Yeah, except he's he doesn't get punished. He doesn't get punished. Although Ludacris ends up coming out unscathed in this film, and literally him releasing the trafficked humans from the back of this van right. is the last scene in the film. Because he's, he's learned his lesson. He's learned his lesson. He rides a bus. That's right. <laughs> he looks around at the unwashed masses that are on there with him and feels, I guess, some kind of solidarity. And then he... Uh, Picks up the car. He he spies the the car. I can't get into it, but he spies the car full of people, uh, traffic people on the side of the road. He doesn't know there's traffic people in there, and I guess they've been in there for I don't know how long, a while. Yeah. And he goes to sell that car at the chop shop. And when they open the back, there's humans in there. And the chop shop guy, who previously didn't want to take a car, by the way, from him because a person had been killed near it and gotten blood splatters on it is more than happy to take so, not yeah, the car. Yeah, happy to engage in human slavery. <laughs> <In> human slavery. <laughs> <laughs> to which Don, uh, to which Ludacris grows it backward and says no and plays Moses to these folks. No, I'm, I'm actually I'm impressed by this guy because you know, I, I am not a criminal. I have not spent a great deal of time around criminals, but I spent some and I know that if you were, for instance, someone who engaged in professional car thievery and you stole a car that had a lot of cash in it, you'd know where to take it to make, you know, to get it laundered in case it was mm-hmm. you know, numbered. I know that if you found a car that had a lot of heroin in it, you would probably know somebody you could, you know, sell it to. Um, I'm impressed this guy would actually know what to do with a bunch of humans. Hum- yeah, traffic. That is not the same thing as like, Oh, yeah, I know a guy who deals drugs. Especially since he's a guy who doesn't seem to understand how to clean blood out of a car. I'm like, this is yeah. the first bloody car you've ever exactly. gotten? Grow up. Exactly. <laughs> Tony Soprano can handle this, like, without even thinking about it. <laughs> Call Harvey Keitel. <laughs> well, anyway, on that note, I'm really grateful to you, Josh, for – I'm grateful to you because I could have gone another 10, 20 years walking around this planet saying that I liked this movie. And what a humiliation. Like, what an embarrassment. Like, you have saved me from so much humiliation. Yeah, here's the problem is a lot of that uh, humiliation is is on record, Brie, so we still have it. I know, I know, which is why I'm going to have to start every interview for the rest of my life. I'm about to, I'm about to get on with Jill Stein in, tw- in 23 minutes and say, hi, it's so nice to be talking to you again. I just want to clarify for the record that I do not endorse 2005's Crash. I do endorse voting for Jill Stein in 2016 in the great state of New York. But to be clear, not the 2005 Oscar-winning film Crash. <laughs> sounds, sounds reasonable. Um, thank you so much for having me on. This This was a blast. Um, tell people where to find you and yeah, all I mean, your content and things. 
I have, mm-hmm. I have, I have two podcasts. One, if you, if you uh, just want to do movies, I do a, mo- a show called the movies that made me with a great Joe Dante. Um, we, it, it is a pure labor of love. Uh, we track down filmmakers other that we know or have done work that we love and we bring them on and they talk to us not about their work, but about movies that have inspired them. So it's a lot of fun. And it's not the usual interview show. It's really more like listening to a bunch of professionals sit around and have a beer and talk about something they love. And then I do the West Wing thing with Dave Anthony, where, and Bree has been on several times. It's my uh, favorite uh, podcast. Dave says hi. And Colin, uh, who has written several theme songs for you, also says hello. Hi, um, guys. We, we are dissecting. We're into the seventh season. We literally dissect every episode of that misbegotten show um, and discuss its terrible politics and how they have helped lead us to where we are today. And you, yeah. they've been doing this series on the Hillary <laughs> Hillary Masterclass video. We did. We just finished a five-part uh, series because we needed a break from the fucking West Wing. <laughs> um, we did, yes, we did five parts on the Hillary Masterclass. Uh, so I've only listened to, to, obviously, my episode with Katie Halper and also the one with uh, Amber Frost and um, Ka- uh, Catherine Liu. Catherine Liu, yes. And it is hilarious. <laughs> I laughed so much it's so good i can't wait to listen to all of the others strong recommend i am not kidding when i say it's my favorite podcast oh thank you so much we we appreciate your support you're uh, um you are you are one of our very favorite guests tonight i love your work and your podcast and anytime you want to talk movies man i am i am here i would love to this was fun this is my only second time doing this it's uh once we got past the technical thing, I, I, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I'm a hundred percent. It was my fault. My phone was glitchy. I'm not sure what that was, but we got I there. Mine too. And I'm looking at all the people. Thank you all for coming. It was, uh, it was lovely, uh, chatting for you. Yes. This was a fun, <laughs> this was a fun break. It's been heavy. This was fun. I appreciate you, Josh. And as always to all of you, remember to keep the faith. Yes. Wish I had a pilot on a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing Boz Scan.